Great to see all of you here today. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New City. It's a joy to be with you today. And as Travis mentioned at the start of that video, every year we collect a Christmas serve offering to bless uh, several of our partners uh, that we've selected for the year. And this year, our Christmas serve offering recipients are Congregations for Kids, which is a local ministry here in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg area that partners congregations with um, kids that are a part of the foster system um, in Charlotte-Mecklenburg. And Hinga, the organization you just heard about in Kampala, Uganda, uh, building hospitals there to bless people and to give them the care that they need. And what's really unique and, and wonderful about our offering this year is that both recipients, Congregations for Kids and Hinga, are led by members of uh, New City. So Nicole Taylor leads uh, Congregations for Kids, and Andy Agaba with his family leads Hinga in the country of Uganda. And two wonderful ministries that I just want to encourage you to pray about this week, what you and your family might be willing to, to give towards our Christmas offering. You can give online at newcity.us. There's a little drop down that says Christmas serve offering. Or on Christmas Eve, uh, we have seven services across our two campuses here in Charlotte. And every penny of the offering that we take on Christmas Eve is going to go um, to, our, to our serve offering out the door. Um, so just want to encourage you this week uh, to pray about that. You know, the fragility of our city, the fragility of our world requires the muscularity of the church. So we've got to show up, and not just with our money, but with our time, our talent, um, our energy, our influence, um, to display the work of Jesus and his grace and his goodness to a world that desperately needs to see it. So thank you for considering that. Um, and again, we'll be taking an offering physically on Christmas Eve, and you can give uh, online as well. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we'll give attention to our scripture today, which is found in Matthew, the second chapter, as we continue in our series, The Way in a Manger, looking at the Christmas narrative. This is the word of God to you today. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. It's interesting. He called a meeting, a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? So the king of the Jews doesn't know where the Messiah is supposed to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. The word of God to you today. You can be seated. Thank you. You know, um, a well-timed and placed question is so powerful, isn't it? I wonder what the most important question is that you've ever asked in your life? I think for me, the most important question was, who is Jesus? Really, who is Jesus? And not only asking that question, but answering that question. I wonder what that would be for you. Have you asked that question, who is Jesus? I mean, really? Was he, was he a moral teacher? Was he an example for us? Was he really the son of God? 
You know, I think every person throughout the course of their life wrestles with the question, who is God? Is there a God? And if there is a God, can he be trusted? Can I, can I know him? You know, Christmas, this season that we're celebrating, Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, was God's clearest answer to us about who he is. Christmas was God's answer to the question, who is Jesus and what has he come here to do? If you think about it in the course of the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, all throughout the history of the world, God's created order, God's been revealing himself to you and to me. He began his revelation to us through creation itself. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans, for even those who haven't heard the name of Jesus, they can see Jesus on display in creation. But Jesus, or God went even further. Uh, It wasn't just through physical creation that he made himself known to us. He sent patriarchs, people who could speak on his behalf that he worked through in their families. And then he sent prophets, Uh, A prophet is someone who hears from God and speaks to the people of God. And so all throughout the Old Testament, God sent spokespeople, if you will, to to speak on his behalf. We've just wrapped up a whole series on the book of Judges, where we saw these interesting characters called Judges, these little mini deliverers who came and acted on behalf of God. God sent judges to make himself known to his people. Uh, God sent angels. All throughout the, the scriptures, we see angels appearing and speaking on behalf of God. God performed miracles uh, through his said prophets and and priests and kings that he sent to reveal himself and his miraculous power. But the ultimate, everyone watch this, the ultimate revelation of God to you and to me was not just in creation or in kings or in prophets or in priests or in judges or even in the angels. The ultimate revelation of God to you and to me is Jesus. Jesus said, as you've seen me, you've seen the Father. As you look upon Jesus who took on flesh, looking just like us, becoming one of us, God came to explain himself to us, to reveal himself to us, and to answer the question, who is Jesus? What has God come here to do? In 1961, the first human entered into space. And when he came back, he reported to Khrushchev, who was the Russian premier at the time, that he had not seen God in outer space. And Khrushchev boldly proclaimed to all the world that they did not find God, as if that was some sort of conclusion, that God doesn't exist and that he he can't be known, of course. And in response to this in 1961, C.S. Lewis wrote a little article called The Seeing Eye. Maybe you've heard this before. Lewis said, if there is a God who created us, again, the question that all of us ask, is there a God? Can I trust him? Can I know him? Is it Jesus? Lewis says, if there is a God who created us, we would not discover him by going up into the air. God would not relate to human beings the way a man on the second floor relates to a man on the first floor. God would relate to us the way Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Shakespeare is the creator of Hamlet's world and of Hamlet himself. Hamlet can know about Shakespeare only if the author reveals information about himself in the play. 
So the only way to know about God is if God reveals himself to us. And here's the miracle of Christmas, okay? The miracle of Christmas is that God didn't just give us information about himself. God came to us. He took on flesh. He humbled himself and came and lived in our world. As John wrote in his gospel, John 1.14, the word, Jesus, became flesh and moved into your neighborhood. All right? And the devil said, there goes the neighborhood. Jesus moved in beside you. He became one of, one of us to reveal himself, to make himself known to us. So the author of life, the creator of life and the world moved into our world and wrote himself into the story of humanity. He wrote himself into your story because he wanted so badly for you to know him. Yesterday we, we celebrated a, a dear saint in our church who went, went to glory and we shared stories, and we talked about the truth of the gospel, and we reminded ourselves, as Paul told us, and we encouraged ourselves with the words of truth and hope about the life to come, that this world is not all there is. And in fact, this world reminds us every day when we open up uh, our newsfeed and the newspaper that it's broken and it's not operating the way that God intended it to. And so God entered into our brokenness to show us the way home, you know, God didn't create hell for people. God created hell for Satan, the enemy of life, and all of his legion of demons that followed him. He never intended for you to go to hell. He always intended for you to be uh, restored and renewed in right relationship with him. But it's only through a relationship with Christ that we can be renewed and restored. By grace, through faith, and trusting who Jesus is. That's why Jesus came. Christmas was ultimately leading to Easter. It was the reason why God came to sacrifice for us. I wonder, you know, if you think about Jesus' preaching and teaching ministry, his, his ministry was threefold according to Matthew. He was a teacher, he was a preacher, he was a healer. And in his preaching and his teaching and his healing, he was revealing who he was. And so you think about that all-important question, who is Jesus? What did Jesus say about this? Do you remember? He said a lot about who he was. Probably the most vivid answer that Jesus gives about who he is is found in John 14, verse 6. Do you remember this? Jesus is with his disciples. He's explaining several things to them. He's explaining that he's going to prepare a place for them and that he's going to return and bring us to, to be in his forever home with him in heaven. And Thomas raises his hand in verse 5 and says, we have no idea what you're talking about. Right? And Thomas is just giving voice to what all of them were probably thinking. We don't understand, Jesus. How can we know where you're going? What, what are you talking about? And Jesus makes this declaration, this answer to the question, who is he? He says, I am the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And so what Jesus was saying is that he's the way. You know, we sing the Christmas carol, Away in a Manger, but we entitled our series this year, The Way in a Manger, because Jesus wasn't a way. He never came to be a way to heaven. It's very popular in our culture to talk about lots of ways, lots of paths, many paths. When, when, when you start talking about the path and the way, people start, to, whoa, now you're getting exclusive. And I don't like exclusivity. 
I want to think about lots of paths. Jesus said, narrow is the path to heaven. He talked about himself in an exclusive way because he knew that he was the way sent from heaven to save you and me. And Matthew's narrative, there's four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as synoptic gospels. With, with one eye, they're seeing the story. John tells the same story, but in a different lens. In Matthew's gospel, he's explaining the Christmas story and who Jesus is, specifically. And in chapters one and two, if you have your scriptures, you can open there with me, we find the Christmas narrative. It starts with the genealogy of Jesus, and then Matthew begins to unpack who is the way in a manger? Who, who did Jesus come to be for us? And it's a threefold work that Jesus, or that uh, Matthew explains in describing who Jesus is. And if you want to think about it this way, if you're taking notes, who Jesus is describes what Jesus does. And so if we think about these three, uh, three roles that, that Matthew describes, this, the way in the manger, who Jesus is, you'll also understand through those three titles, those three roles, what Jesus does. Does that make sense? No? Anybody? Okay. I'm going to keep going. Um, so the first role is Savior. And we talked about that last week. And Nick and Rodney did a great job, you know, opening this series and talking about who is Jesus, and then, you know, what does he do? Well, he's, he's Savior. And if you go back and listen online or you want to read the passage, it's in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And we see Jesus described as the Savior. In fact, his name, the reason why he's named Jesus, which was a very common name, is a derivative of Joshua, Yeshua, which means the one who saves. So even his name points to who he is. He's a Savior. But it gets even better. Matthew then describes, beginning in Matthew chapter 2, our text today, that Jesus is meant to be our shepherd. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. And then thirdly, the third role that Matthew describes Jesus by, and, 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 and in connection with that, his work, is as a king. And we'll talk about that on, on Christmas Eve in verses 7 through 12 and following. But I want to go a little bit deeper on these three roles and the three works, threefold work of Jesus that are connected to these roles, because it's a really meaningful teaching and understanding theologically about who Jesus is. And meaning, um, in these three roles, we see the threefold work of Jesus and what he came here to do for us. And so for some of you, you've been following Jesus for a long time, and this might be a little bit of review. Uh, for some of you, you're exploring a relationship with Jesus, and this is really important to understand. Lots of people say a lot of things about Jesus, but let's pay attention to what the scripture says, and specifically the threefold role that Matthew says Jesus came here to play for us, the work that he came to accomplish. So as savior, um, the first role that Matthew describes Jesus by Jesus is saving us from our sin, okay? He came to pay the penalty for us on the cross and his resurrection, defeating death for us. So he saves us from sin. And many of us, as we think about Jesus, we think about him as savior and the one who, who uh, removes the, the, the pain and the penalty of sin from us. But again, it gets even better. Jesus is our shepherd. And in this role, if you're taking notes, Jesus walks with us through brokenness. So Jesus came to save us from sin, to justify us. Jesus came to walk with us through brokenness. What is brokenness? Brokenness is the result of sin. We live in a broken world because of sin. 
And so Jesus didn't just come to, to have a transactional moment where he saves us from life, from death to life. There is that. But he wants to walk with us in the brokenness of this world. And he does that in his role as shepherd. But it gets even better. As king, Jesus leads us into restoration. So he's saving us from sin. He's walking with us through brokenness. And he's leading us into restoration, which is what heaven is a place where there is no sin. There's nothing between us and God. All right, if I've lost you, come back to me, okay? Let me say it a different way. Jesus, as Savior, delivers me, delivers us from the penalty of sin, okay? And what this is, is justification, if you've heard that word before. It's a legal term that means that over my life and my heart, instead of being penalized for my brokenness and my sin, God is covering me with his grace and his love and declaring me righteous, not because of anything that I've done, but because of the completed work of Jesus on the cross for me. If you wanna think about the gospel in one verse or just write this down and read it all throughout the week, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, right? Paul writes, he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became what? He became sin. And why did he do that? So that we could become the righteousness of God. So he's imparting to us his righteousness, and he's taking upon himself our unrighteousness, paying the penalty of sin and death for us. So he's delivering me from the penalty of my sin, and this is known as justification, all right? But as shepherd, Jesus is walking me through the brokenness of this world. And again, what is brokenness? Brokenness is the result of sin. Every brokenness in your life, every brokenness that we read about and experience in this world is a result of sin. God didn't cause it. It's the result of our rebellion against him. And so we're born into sin with a condition of sin, but also our choice of sin. We participate in that rebellion. And God doesn't leave us or forsake us. Not only does he remove the penalty of sin from us through justification, his completed work on the cross, but he delivers me from the power of sin. So as shepherd, he's leading me and guiding me through brokenness right? And he's walking me away from the power that sin has over my life. And in this way, if you've heard this little phrase before, this is what sanctification is. What is sanctification? It means that every step that I take as I follow Jesus, you know, we talk about our mission here of helping people find and follow Jesus. When I come into a relationship with Jesus, when I find him, now the lifelong pursuit of every follower of Jesus is to take a step every day closer and closer to him. And as I take steps closer to Jesus, I become more like him. And this is the process known as sanctification. And I use that word specifically and intentionally, process, because it is a process. And sometimes it's a half step forward and sometimes it's a step back, isn't it? But every day the call is Mark 1:17. come and follow me. That's what Jesus says to us. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll help you to go help other people find and follow after me. So Jesus' shepherd is delivering me from the power of sin and that's sanctification. And, but then lastly, gets even better. As king, right? As a king, Jesus delivers me from the presence of sin. So there'll be a day where the presence of sin is no longer a reality for us. And that's what the kingdom of God is. When Jesus came the first time at Christmas, he inaugurated his kingdom here on earth. And he said, as you live by my kingdom principles and ways, you bring uh, heaven, the kingdom of God, here to earth. When he comes the second time, he'll come as a conquering king. 
And it'll come to eradicate sin from the world forever and to put it in its rightful place, which is a place called hell, which is separation from God for eternity that God, again, never created for people. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there on their own by rejecting him as savior, shepherd, and king. But as king, Jesus delivers me from the presence of sin. One day, there'll be no more disease. There'll be no more funerals. There'll be no more more tears because Jesus has swallowed all that up with his word. And in heaven, we'll be glorified. And that's that final word. There's justification and sanctification. But then as king, there'll be a glorification. What does that mean? It means I'll be truly who God made me to be without the presence of sin in my life. So as we think about these three roles that Matthew describes the way in a manger, who Jesus is, we also see the threefold work of Christ in our life. I think this is so important, whether it's the first time you've heard this teaching or the hundredth time, to remember what Jesus does for us, who he is. And it flows, all the work of Christ flows from who Jesus came to be as Savior, as Shepherd, and as King. So let's spend the remainder of our time talking about the second role of shepherd. And our text today in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 6, if you have that uh, opened up. Uh, Matthew uh, pulls from a, a prophecy as he tells the story. And if you look specifically in verse 6, uh, Matthew 2, verse 6 is sort of a smashing together of two Old Testament prophecies. The first one in Micah 5, verse 2, where the prophet talks about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. That's how the religious leaders knew where the Messiah was going to be born, specifically from Micah 5, 2, which um, if you know Hebrew, Bet-lehem, Bet is house, Lamb is bread. So Jesus was born in the house of bread. So when Jesus teaches, I'm the bread of life, He's connecting it back to even his origin of being born in Bethlehem, that he came to be the bread of life for us. He was born in the house of bread. But the other prophecy that is combined here in Matthew um, 2, verse 6, is 2 Samuel 5, 2, where uh, there's a prophecy that's spoken over David. And the word is that, David, you're going to be a shepherd to my people. And just follow with me here. Jesus was born in the line of King David, So the prophecy was actually and ultimately about Jesus as shepherd, the one who would come and and protect and care for his flock, his people. So when we read the prophecy here in Matthew 2, verse 6, it's a combination of Micah 5, 2 and 2 Samuel 5, 2. And it's describing Jesus, of course, as a shepherd, which in the first century, for the audience that would be hearing this, they would understand very quickly who a shepherd you know, is and, and, and the functions. Remember, um, there's, there's the title or the role, but the work flows out of the role. So a shepherd, they would have understood what a, what a shepherd does specifically. But I think it's important for us as we think about Jesus as our shepherd to understand what a shepherd does just at a high level. And so I, I wrote down three things. If you're taking notes, maybe just jot this down and think about this as you think about Jesus as our shepherd and the work that he does on our behalf, guiding us through a broken place. The first thing a shepherd would do is to lead. And you say, okay, well, a shepherd would lead in a lot of different ways. And this is what's really interesting. Sometimes a shepherd would be out front of their flock, of course, um, leading them through and all the, the sheep being able to see the shepherd in front of them. But I didn't know this, but sometimes a shepherd would uh, lead from among the flock. 
And they would actually you know, be among uh, the sheep and be journeying with them from the midst of the flock. And then at other times, a shepherd leads from behind the flock. Uh, kind of guiding them and moving them forward. I think that's important to think about Jesus in our own stories and how he leads us. Sometimes it's out front, sometimes it's from uh, our side, and sometimes it's from behind, you know, kind of moving us and pushing us forward. I love um, Revelation 2, verse 1. I'm not going to chase this too long. Um, But as the letters are being written to the seven churches, Uh, One of the churches that's written to is Ephesus. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus describes himself to the church at Ephesus as the one who walks among you. The one who walks with you. I wonder if you can think about a passage or a chapter in the Bible where God is described as shepherd. Can Can you think of one that comes to your mind? Many of you are probably thinking about Psalm 23. Um, And Psalm 23, of course, is sort of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. And we hear it in a lot of different contexts. And I wonder why that passage is so meaningful for those of us who follow Jesus, and even beyond followers of Jesus, why Psalm 23 is so impactful and meaningful. And I think it's because God is described as a shepherd and somebody who walks among us. You know, sheep need to be led. It doesn't come naturally to sheep, which, by the way, we're the sheep in the story. It doesn't come naturally for them to be on their own. First of all, they're pack animals. They need community. They need to be together. And they need to be led. If they follow one another, sometimes they lead themselves into great danger or off a cliff. They need a shepherd who's going to move with them and be with them. You know, when we think about Psalm 23 and we combine it with Matthew 2 and thinking about Jesus as our shepherd, the psalmist says, even though you walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, I'm going to fear no evil. In other words, I'm not going to be afraid because, because you're what? Because you're with me. And I know just to say that some of you in the room today, some of you watching online, you're, you're in a valley For some of you, it is a valley of the shadow of death. You're experiencing great loss. And I know this time of year, uh, specifically the Christmas season, is a time where we're reminded of somebody who's not at the table that we wish they were, of something that's happened in our life that's led to a great amount of pain, confusion, disappointment, grief, loss. And I love what the psalmist says, that even when I'm in the lowest point of my life, um, Jesus is with me, the shepherd is with me, And I just want to say, you know, I think this is important when we think about the the 23rd Psalm, that the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I just want to say to somebody in here today who feels like they're in a valley, that I think this is intentional language, and it's what the shepherd does for us, is he allows us to take our next step in the valley. That you're not meant to, to set up camp and to sit down in the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, He says specifically, you walk with me. And sometimes you don't know if you can take another step and you don't know what that step is. But I just want to encourage somebody in the room today or watching that feels like they're in a valley, the shadow of death, that Jesus is with you, that the shepherd is near. And part of what the shepherd does for each of us is to help us to take our next step. So I just want to encourage you, don't sit down in your dysfunction. Don't make camp in the valley. 
it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And the reason why the shepherd walks with us is because he knows it's dangerous. So I just want to encourage you. This might be the reason why you're here today to hear this word. Jesus, as your shepherd, is helping you to take the next step and following after him, even especially in the midst of your, your grief and your pain, your loss, your disappointment. You know, Martin Luther, I think Luther was the first one that said this. I think it's a country song now, but um, I think it, they don't know it was, it was Luther. <laughs> he said, uh, if you're going through hell, keep on going. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? It doesn't say even though I sit in the valley of the shadow of death. So just keep walking. Take the next step with your shepherd because he's with you. So the first thing a shepherd does in understanding the role of Jesus in our life as shepherd is they lead us. Sometimes from out front, sometimes right beside, sometimes from behind us. They, a shepherd feeds. It's the second thing that a shepherd does. He was responsible for nourishing his flock. And even as we think about Psalm 23, uh, what are we reminded of? You, you know, the psalmist says, you know, you lead me beside still waters. You, you make me lie down in green pastures, which by the way, pay attention to the language. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm sitting down in green pastures. So the shepherd helps me to keep walking in my grief and my pain and my disappointment when I don't feel like I can get up in the morning. And I know there's somebody in the room this morning that was like, I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like being there. I just don't feel like seeing anyone. And you're here, right? You're watching, right? You, you, turned, you turned this on. You came here. You're listening. And that's what the shepherd helps us to do is to take the next step. But then pay attention to the language that in the moments where we're in a place where we're able to receive nourishment, the shepherd helps us to slow down and to, 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 to stand beside still waters, to sit down in green pastures, and for many of us, we're just so busy in our life that we're just on to the next thing. And part of what the shepherd does, what Jesus does for us is to slow down and take nourishment. Um, in these days, and I know this week, right? Game on, right? When some of you are already checking your phone, you're like, I gotta get to the store. I gotta do all the things, right? And I know it, I understand. But this is such a gift to just to have a slow moment together and to just let the shepherd speak to your soul and to take nourishment from his word and from one another, and from worshiping him. Did you know sheep won't drink from a moving water? They won't drink from water that's moving. They've gotta be by still waters. They won't, they won't digest their food, it's kinda gross, but they won't digest their food if they're anxious. So they, they can't be anxious in order to receive nourishment. And the only thing that abates their anxiety is the shepherd being near that the shepherd's near me and watching over me so I can, I can relax and I can sit down and I can have a good meal. What's the third thing a shepherd does? Well, they lead, they feed. Think about this in the context of Jesus for you in your life. They protect. A shepherd protects. What does the psalmist say? Your rod and your staff, they what? They make me so afraid, so afraid of the shepherd. It's gonna bonk me on the head with a staff. No, your rod and your staff, what? They, they comfort me. It's actually a comfort to me. And the staff, you know, played, uh, you know, uh, multiple roles for a shepherd. But one of the things that a staff does is to, to, to knock away wolves that are all around. Sometimes the, the crook of the staff would be to put it around a sheep, you know, their neck and pull them back into the flock. But the, the truth is that the protection, the oversight of a shepherd helps the sheep to feel comforted 
to know that they're protected no matter what. And the reality is, as we're getting ready to leave today, that there's trouble all around, guys. And Jesus said that. In this world, you'll have trouble. It's all around. To be more specific, Jesus talked about wolves that, that are, are living among the flock and are all in the world that want to devour people. And he talked about the need for allowing yourself to hear the voice of Jesus, his voice, and to be shepherded. In fact, Paul talks about this to the leaders of the church at Ephesus when he's saying goodbye to them in Acts chapter 20. They gather on a beach and he says these words. I wanted to read just a a little bit of it too. He says, guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, the church. Purchase with his own blood, the blood of Jesus, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. And Paul says, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. In other words, Paul's reminding the leaders of the church that your role is to be an under-shepherd to the good shepherd and to protect the flock because they're vulnerable. And that's the role of a shepherd. I want to um, share a picture with you of this dog that was in my yard. And I was, I was in my office um, and I looked out the window, I saw this dog and our driveway kind of, at the end of the driveway, if you're at our house, like the, the fence is there and there's no way for him to, to get out. So I was like, this is just an old stray dog and I need to go help this dog get out of our yard. So I'm, um, I'm a Cheez-It freak. I love Cheez-Its of any kind. And so I've got Cheez-Its stashed all over this campus. Um, but I was eating Cheez-Its um, and, and kind of working, and I thought, I'm going to take my bag of Cheez-Its out there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead this dog out of our um, driveway. I'll just, you know, kind of do a trail of Cheez-Its. And as I'm watching this, uh, I'm getting ready to go out there for real. I'm not making this up. This was this past February. Um, he, he did this. So then I'm, I, seriously, I'm... I'm, I'm grab the phone, I'm obviously taking pictures, and I'm noticing his tail. And I'm like, man, that is a, that is a weird dog. Um, <laughs> and I can't, I can't believe this old dog jumped up. So um, I was like, who can I ask about this? And um, some of you know Brad Panovich is, is a weatherman here, and he's a good friend, and he's just a nerd. And he just, not only weather, but just nature. He just knows everything. So I sent him this picture, and I was like, what is this? And he's like, man, that's a, that's a koi wolf. And some of you know that. And I mean, probably 50, 60 pounds, but coyotes and wolves have bred together. And they're, by the way, they're all over Mecklenburg County, according to Brad. And um, so anyway, I'm like, man, I'm so glad I didn't take my Cheez-Its out, you know, to this wolf and get devoured by this wolf. And um, I wanted to share this for a long time, so I was like, I'm gonna share it today. Um, Because what I didn't know was they're all around. And by the way, just to nerd out on this for a second, they like, they call to each other. If you hear them, if you go out late at night, like if you hear them, and what they're doing is taking a census. This is crazy. And they're able to, um, the moms are able to increase or decrease their litter based on the census when they call around to each other. So it's really hard to get rid of them. So you do, if you do see them, by the way, you need to haze them. Like you need to like shout, don't take them Cheez-Its. Um, but the reality is, to me, it was just like, you know, a vivid picture of what Paul's talking about 
and just that they're, you know, they're spiritual wolves all around us, you know, in the form of false teachers, in the form of people that want to lead us astray. And we need a shepherd. We need someone looking out for us. And we need to know the voice of our shepherd because, guys, there's so many voices in this world. And as we leave today, we think about so many things that are calling for our attention. And as Jesus describes himself in the, as the good shepherd multiple times in the Gospels, in John chapter 10, you know, he talks about, you know, um, false shepherds and wolves and all these things. And, and the sheep, the importance of sheep knowing um, his voice. And I wanted to just give you, you know, a lot of the things I've said today, I'm sure in a couple of weeks you might not remember. But I hope you're going to remember that picture. And I want you to remember this. Um, as a way of understanding Jesus as shepherd and the importance of hearing his voice among all the other voices. Um, There's a couple of different clips um, out there of this, but, you know, sheep, of course, learn to identify the voice of their shepherd and the cadence and the sound specifically. And so I wanted to show you something really quick of a, a field trip of kids who are coming to a flock of sheep and the shepherd's working with them and they're mimicking his call and I want you to notice the difference between you know, each of them calling out and then when the shepherd calls and how the sheep identify his voice. So let's think about Jesus as shepherd and hearing his voice and watching this together. <laughs> Again. One more time. Oh, one is. Quiet. Look at them, look at them. Isn't that amazing? They are coming. Yeah, Eunice made him go away. Was that cool or what? (laughs) You will never have the same again. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one can snatch them away from me. I hope you'll never forget that. Jesus is our shepherd. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for being our good shepherd. Thank you that at Christmas you came not to just deliver us from the penalty of sin. That would have been enough. That would have been enough. But you don't leave us in the brokenness of this world. You walk with us. And I want to pray for each of my dear friends today that as we think about you as our shepherd, that we would hear your voice among all the other loud voices in our lives. 
that above all the noise of this world, especially during this Christmas season, we would hear your voice, the voice that leads us, that feeds us, and protects us. We give you the glory for this moment and time together in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand as we sing together.
Thank you guys for being with us today. Um, just want to make a couple of announcements here. If you're looking to get connected at New City, we'd love to help you do that. And the easiest way today is to go to Connection Point, which is right out here in the foyer. Um, we've got some teammates that would love to greet you and tell you a little more about the church and how you can get connected here. If there's something in today's message that prompted you and you would love to talk about who is Jesus, um, that important question. And uh, if you'd like prayer in your life or something you're walking through, we'd love to do that. And so some, some members of our care team and myself will be up front afterwards and we'd love to meet you and pray with you, talk with you. Um, if you call New City your home, part of our worship is, is our offering. And so um, we believe, you know, um, that worship is really our response um, to who Jesus is, how he's made himself known. Uh, if you're visiting here, please don't feel obligated to give. Um, but if you call New City your home, uh, this is a chance to give online or in the green boxes uh, to our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. And just a couple of other things. Um, we have a few seats that are open in New City Academy. We're able to add some seats for our next semester, which starts January the 11th. Um, our New City Academy is a place where we do equipping um, disciple makers. And so uh, if you're interested in being a part of that, we're walking through the Old Testament right now together on Wednesday nights. Um, space is limited. There's a few seats open. So I don't know if you want to screenshot this um, or go on. I would go on today if you, if you want to be a part of that in January, um, the next session of Academy. And then lastly, Christmas Eve is coming. Um, this coming Saturday, and we'll have four services here um, at our South Park location. If you're um, interested in going to Matthews or know folks in that area, they'll have three services at 1, 3, and 5. But here at South Park, we'll be at 1, 2, 30, 4. Am I right? Okay, 1, 2, 30, 4, and 5, 30. All right, so, um, you know, we've created space uh, intentionally for you to bring friends and family members who don't have a church home to celebrate um, we've got a great service planned that evening. So we just want to make an invitation for you to be here um, and be a part of it, but also to be praying about uh, someone this week that you could invite to, to be here. And you guys have heard me say this before, but over and over again, you know, people who don't have a church home are asked, what would, you know, what would it take for you to, to, to go to church and to be a part of that? And over and over again, people answer, if someone that I trust and love would invite me. So the power of an invitation, just invite someone this week in your circle to come be a part of it. And uh, just one final thing, um, if you're able to, I just want to encourage you to come to one o'clock. Um, I know the NFL has scheduled a game that day here, um, but if you, could, if you could be here at one o'clock, um, that would be terrific. We're anticipating the further we go into the evening, uh, the more crowded. So that would be awesome to free up some seats for our, our neighbors and guests. If you're able, would you extend your hands for a benediction as we, we go today? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord Jesus make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and turn his attention your way. And may the Lord today and all throughout this Christmas week fill you with his peace and his mercy and his love. In the name of Jesus, amen. Love you, New City. Thank you.